0: to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve
1: Clark. Hello, everyone. This is
0: Steve Clark, and thanks so much for tuning in to the show. I continue a continuous series of interviews um, intended to glean from the elite program coaching duos. I'm looking into their dynamics of the head coach, assistant coaches, and how they work together in recruiting, player development, fundraising, promotional areas, just to name a few. And often these coaches have very different approaches, but complement each other. So I'd like to thank you for joining the show, and today we have with us uh, champion coaches Lily Farood and Frankie Brennan. You'll benefit benefit from what they have to say regarding juniors, collegiate and professional tennis, um parents and their recruiting and all those different types of topics. Let me introduce both of them, starting with the head coach. And before I start with Lily, let me just preface it with one word unmatched. As kids uh say these days, it's just what they've done here at Stanford, okay? I'd like to start with Lili, Coach Farood. As a collegiate uh, athlete, she graduated in 1978 from Stanford. She, was the, she got an All-American status the first year it was offered. I think that was 94, I mean 74, not 94. She was an NCAA singles finalist as a freshman and a doubles semifinalist as a sophomore. It's pretty impressive at that young age. She won the gold medal in singles and doubles in the 75 Pan Am Games. and She won the 75 U.S. Amateur singles and doubles championships. And In our discussion with her, I'll ask her what that means for all you young folk out there, uh, what the amateurs was at that time. In the pros, she had a win over Virginia Wade, who was a former Wimbledon champion, and she was the number two seed at the U.S. Open. And she had a world rank high of 30 in the, in the world. Pretty impressive. Now, let's go on to the coaching aspect here. Now, all that's impressive, but here's where it really gets off the charts with respect to our discussion today. And I'm not sure what to include here because the list goes on. Um, and it segues into actually my introduction to Associate Head Coach Frankie Brennan because he has been instrumental in much of this success. But it's the winningest program in NCAA women's tennis history with 18 NCAA titles over the years. Under her direction, 15 years at the helm, coming up, uh, coming up 16 this year, they're 350 and 26. As a coach, I've been doing this for a long time. That's ridiculous. Seven NCAA titles, five NCAA uh, singles and doubles, I mean singles and five NCAA doubles titles, 33 consecutive NCAA dances. Not a lot of people or programs can boast that. 184 consecutive dual match wins at home at one time, and that was uh, basically led the nation in any sport. Uh, that was pretty impressive. An eye-popping 89 consecutive wins. Uh, that's three for those out you doing the math with your schedules out there. That's three consecutive years in a row without a loss. Now, let me bring up Coach Frankie Brennan, associate head coach for the first 15 years here. He's been here 20. For the first 15, he was the assistant coach, and now he's the associate head coach, a title well-deserved. In his time on the farm, the Cardinal women have amassed 490 to 34 record, won nine NCAA titles and 16 conference titles, He's been a five-time ITA Northwest Region Assistant Coach of the Year and a 2003 National Assistant Coach of the Year. He's a third-generation coach. We might get into that a little bit today with his father and grandfather all being coaches, having coached the likes of Billie Jean King and even Jimmy Carter. So, Lele and Frankie, I appreciate you taking time during your great Stanford Nike tennis camp to connect here. And also, there, uh, there's, uh, if there's any banging on, we're live on site. There's also preparing for the Bank of the West tournament. And if you want to come on out here and watch those matches and get some tickets, uh, call the Stanford uh, Athletic Department and get those uh, tickets. It's going to be an incredible event. So, Lily and Frankie, welcome.
1: Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to be on with you. And it's a pleasure to work with you for a few summers here at Nike Camp.
2: I agree. Thanks a lot, Steve, for having us on. Total honor to be a part of this. Uh, I think what your fourth show, and uh have listened to them all so far. They've all sound pretty good. So hopefully we can keep up with Wayne and Coach Gould and uh, and Brandon and, and uh, Paul from last week. And again, we really appreciate all you've done for us and coming to Stanford each year with you and your great kids and everything else. So thanks a lot.
0: I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, there's one of the things that uh, when you, you when you are on the Stanford campus, I was uh, talking to some people the other day. It's just not there's excellence all around uh you can just people touring the campus you feel like in a little city there's sometimes groups of people just walking around taking a look so uh, it's a pleasure to be here um, there's several things I want to connect to on this show again we uh aim to encourage players parents coaches and you know general issues uh regarding tennis and so I'd like to ask uh both Lily and uh, Frankie a couple questions before I get into some uh you might say I'm I'm doing qualitative research in some of the questions I ask coaches because uh we want to kind of get an idea of what various coaches think on similar issues. But let me start uh, with Lili. Um, With such a successful uh, collegiate career, and on your website, it doesn't even really discuss your junior career, but you clearly must have done well. But for the sake of those juniors out there thinking, wow, what does it take to get there, to do, I- I'm just curious, what was your junior tennis experience like?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I uh, I started my junior tennis uh, age seven out here in Northern California when my family was living out here. Then we then moved to uh, the New York area, and uh, that was where my longtime uh, coach, uh, where we met each other at the club that I played at, and that is, of course, uh, Frankie's father, Frank Brennan. And so he was my coach from the age of 10. So we went to our first national tournament together when I was 11. And uh, a few years later, uh, my family moved to Fort Lauderdale for multiple reasons. One was get a little more tennis in year-round, and so I had a chance to uh, grow up with some of the most amazing junior players. Uh, there used to be a little chart at uh, Holiday Park uh, with how many junior national champions played every day at the courts that we were at. Of course, we had the Evert sisters. We had... Uh, uh Harold Solomon we had the Godfried brothers i mean it was a really it was an amazing group of talent that all practiced together at the park there so we all pushed each other it was much more informal than the way kids practice today we just went to the park all day on the weekends we went after school we just got games with each other uh we got free balls from the uh from the people who ran the park so much a much different era, much more informal, but uh, we were just out there playing every day, every time we could.
0: Uh, as part of doing this show is I learn stuff every day. I did not know that about Frankie being your, uh, Frankie's dad being your coach. Um, and you have a long history, obviously, here at Stanford uh, with him as well. Frankie, you have a unique story. I mean, obviously, being this uh, the son of a coach and the uh, grandson of a coach, um, it goes through the uh, you know through the bloodline. I know my sons told me he never wants to coach. He just wants to play professionally and not ever do this. So uh, that, that's a pretty special uh, special deal. So if you could maybe share with our audience and maybe some uh, young uh, men and women out there that might have a coach as a father, what was your junior experience like? Yeah, um, and, and knowing Graham,
2: I'm not surprised that he wants to grow up to be a, a player instead of a coach. And I think we all kind of felt that way. Um for me, I, I was lucky enough to have some great direction later in my life, and uh, I was quick to realize that by age uh, 26, 27, I was going to be a much better coach than a player, <laughs> so I actually took that direction earlier than most. Um, as far as my upbringing, again, as Lily said, she was around all the time, and I was around the game constantly, and I was extremely fortunate. I really... I really can't think of anyone who could be as lucky as I was not only having a grandfather who was a a world-famous coach coaching Billie Jean King uh, for 18 years. He got a lot of publicity when he had a heart attack in the stands at uh, Wimbledon during her time there and was stuck there for a couple months, and my mom took care of uh, my father's uh, younger siblings, my dad being the oldest of 10. So um, just hearing all the stories, being around it, Billie Jean King being just such a great personal friend. I mean, I definitely idolized um, her and, of course, Lily growing up. I mean, I just would get a chance to see all these great players come through. Um, I was also thrown into it with other players. Back then, access was different at certain events. So there were pro events that I was hanging out at. I mean, I literally remember being eight years old, living in Florida. We moved to Tampa um, when I was about four years old, and of course Lily, as she had mentioned, had moved down there as well, so she was around a lot, but I can remember a certain tournament in Florida where I had uh, Rosie Casals and uh, Martina Navratilova, and I think Billy was out there. I'm sure Lily was there, and we were playing stickball between matches, and I had the whole group playing with me, and I just was really fortunate to be around it. Um, and I'm also a very visual person, so whatever they did on the court and the way they struck the ball, I would copycat a lot. I... Uh, I, I always felt like, looking back on my career and my life, I never reached the higher levels of tennis, but I was always feel like I was training to be a coach because I learned to do everything I could with the ball. I could hit with different grips. Um, I could do different things with different shots. So uh, growing up, I just sort of copied and played different kids, uh, played different styles, learned to serve and volley at a very young age, uh, spent a lot of da- time at my father's camps in the summer, so I got a lot of exposure to some very good tennis and lots of tennis. Um, And then, of course, we moved to California, and some other interests got in the way, playing football, skateboarding, being a kid, and tennis was sort of became my my second sport, but it was always something I found a way to get back to year-round when I had the chance to and played all my tournaments and things like that. Um, So I was influenced by a lot of different things, a lot of different people, a lot of different players. Uh, When Dad got the job at Stanford in 79 and we all moved out here, John McEnroe had just finished his freshman year and I, I absolutely idolized him. I mean, I just, I wished I was a lefty. I served righty like he served lefty, uh, you know, tried to grip the racket the same way. So uh, I feel very fortunate the way I was raised and since I got such an early start uh, in the game that I was really able to kind of, I think, really set me up to, to have success as a coach in those different areas.
0: Thanks a lot. Well, one of the questions I want to start off with is, um, you know, lately having you know from a college perspective um with a you know a stellar career at stanford what things would stick out that shaped shaped you and that you really hold dear from your time here at stanford you know so if, if a kid a young adult young young lady going to college might think wow that's really neat about college tennis something that could maybe stand out for you
1: well I think it started because, of course, I went to school here. So uh, my familiarity with being at Stanford—it uh, was an incredible place, uh, tremendous learning experience in so many ways. So um, I went off after that, played some on the tour for a while, and then the chance to come back. I was in a little bit of a crossroads with my careers. I put on a pro tournament in France for a while, uh, got got that started. Didn't want to stay uh, living abroad. So when I came back to San Francisco, I was right right around the early 30s, and I had the opportunity from Frank to ask me if I would like to be an assistant coach for him. And I didn't think it was something that was going to stick. Uh, it was something that I agreed to do because he was in a little bit of a jam at that point. But the funny thing is that I've been teaching tennis since I was 15 years old at tennis camp. So teaching tennis was always... <laughs> was I I much preferred being at camp as an instructor than as a camper. And so I was given the opportunity to teach from a very young age. Um, So being on court one-on-one, teaching players, um, helping players improve, this was kind of something I knew I knew how to do. And my strength was always the one-on-one and still is, quite frankly, So which is unique because, you know, within a team setting, I probably feel I'm most productive when I get the players one at a time one on one and and try to help them improve individually. So, it's just been a incredible experience being here. I obviously had 12 years of being uh an assistant coach. I learned a lot of different things about the coaching uh lifestyle, about the um how to manage a team. Uh teams are different. The uh, the players are different, the game is different, uh, so much has changed since I started in uh, 88. But um, it, it, something is still the same about working with great, talented players who are committed and really want to win titles. And, and a lot of it goes not only to the people you work with, whether it was Frank or, or certainly Frankie over our last 15 years. Uh, you have to be on the same page as a coaching staff. Uh, you have to give direction to what you're trying to do, and you have to give a certain sense to the team that you know how to get it done because they don't know how to get it done because your people change every year and your dynamic of your team changes and your uh, and your freshmen don't really know what what to expect with the whole thing. So you really have to give them that sense that – the, the from the coaching staff, you do know how to get it done. You do know how to make them successful. They have to be committed, and they have to put in their time, and they have to listen.
0: Well, that, that kind of, uh, for you of uh, those of you listening, um, a lot of times when questions are asked, a slew of related questions come out. And uh, so sometimes they may bounce back and forth because, for example, they just hit on a couple things that I do want to ask. And one of them is, and Lili, maybe you could start first and then Frankie jump in there, is you mentioned that being on the same page, but also while you were saying one-on-one, Frankie's shaking his head because I think you both complement each other differently in these things. What, let's start with coaching philosophy. Uh, if you could give me a broad brush coaching philosophy, um, and you kind of touched on it right now, and then Frankie, maybe you can do color commentary or uh, fill in.
1: Well, I, I would I would say my coaching philosophy is when you're coaching in college, you're coaching a group of people together. So you need them to get on the same page and want the same outcome. But in fact, each one of them is on their own court in our sport. And obviously, you have double teams that compete together. You need for each person to be committed to becoming a better player individually and learning how to be successful on their own court. When you have a bunch of people who... Are committed, who want to get better, who want to have success for the group by being a better player and, and doing some things like that, then you're going to have success. And we've had very committed, very good talent and those kind of things and they wanted to win for themselves and for each other and they understood that they had to get better in order to make that a reality. And so we had people who were able to do that. So I think from I'm kind of always on that fine line between how much of it is team and how much of it is just getting a bunch of players better. And it's somewhere in there and it's maybe 60, 40 in one direction with certain groups and maybe it's 70, 30 the other way with different groups. So you have to kind of understand your people, how they relate to each other and where the, um, where that blend is for any particular group. Uh, As far as a coaching philosophy, I, uh, I was always a player I think understood my own game well, understood why I was successful and why I wasn't. So my mantra with my team and my players has always been manage your game, which is understand your game, know what you're working on, know why you're working on it, and just stick to what you know about yourself and how you can be productive and a better player.
0: Thank
2: you. Frankie, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, at first I just want to go ahead and just take a slight step back and just say you were telling me, nodding my head, and, and Lily has just – there's so many strengths of Lily Farood, and obviously that's why we're here and we're doing what we do in our 15th season and our success. One-on-one, honestly, there is nobody better in the country. I don't care who you pull off. My father was sort of the same way, and, and I have never learned more technical things from my father and from Lily than any other coach. I mean, there's she sees things that I overlook, and I've been doing this for a long time. And when she gets one of our players on the court for one-on-one time, we all know that they're going to be much more disciplined. <laughs> you know, you've got Lily on the other side hitting balls with you. And when she shakes her head and says, no, 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 get up to that ball, something like that. I mean, those are the things that that make her just such a phenomenal coach. Um, And, of course, we we work very well together because of that. I mean, you're learning something new about us today by knowing that my father was her coach for all those years. Well, we come from pretty much the same background. Um, And the three of us all had the same philosophies. I mean, you you can hear things coming out of Lily's mouth and my mouth that my dad said 30 years ago to kids, get up on that baseline, take the ball early. And and that is – that's a style of play, but I also think that's a philosophy. And as lily said, these are individuals, so not every kid has the skill to do that consistently. However, in a time and a place situation, they all have the ability. On our team, to step up and take the ball early and dictate at the right time. So I think on that level, um, that's one of the things that we're so in sync about, lily and I. You know, and and our our strengths are I think are the fact that we have the same philosophy. If you ask Lili to build her perfect player. I can almost 100% guarantee if you cornered me and asked me the same question, I'd have the same answer. And it's a stubborn player who manages their game well. I mean, how often do we use that term with our players about managing the game, don't miss returns on break points. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, this is is just kind of the, the way it goes. And as she said, we're very fortunate to get those players who are motivated to get better and make themselves better, which, of course, will make the team better. However, there is a time for a coach to have to go ahead and and help in that area and help with the, the motivation factor. Doesn't help in a lot with some of the top players on the team, but you get those kids in that middle group, especially here at Stanford, where academics are very challenging. And you start to see your life going a different direction at a different point in your junior year, and you're playing number five for us. We call them lifers at that position. You're playing number five for us for life, and now you're thinking about your next career. It's important for us to find a way to keep that motivation up. And I, I think that's you're asking about Stanford specifically too, and that's one of the tough things here for us.
0: Well, and that's related to my next question is because in college uh we are student athletes, and I say we, I mean as a coach, uh, you know, we're coaches are lifelong learners, should be. And uh, you know, that should kind of bleed out with the players. So at Stanford obviously the academics are extremely important and high. Um what what, advi- what advice would you give to young uh, girls and even uh, some of the uh, guys going wanting to play college regarding this balance between academics and uh and their playing
1: Well, I think the first thing is realizing that life is long. <laughs> You're going to need to have a lot of sets of skills to be successful. There's uh there's a period where hopefully athletics will be the primary um uh you know, career, Uh, and that's, quite frankly, for very few collegiate players, Um, so it's important to realize that you have to go on and do other things with your life, and the better prepared you are, the better you're going to be at everything, and when you learn the discipline of uh, how to study efficiently and things like that, it's going to make you better as a college athlete, for sure, and it's also going to creep into your, your sport life. A little bit to have the discipline to do uh, to do your studies a certain way, then when you get to the court you 're going to bring the same discipline that you train yourself in another area to this area of athletics. The biggest waste of time is somebody who comes to the court who's talented who doesn't have the discipline to get the most out of it every day. And the best athletes don't do that. They're not only supremely talented, but they're incredibly disciplined. And we hear that time and time again from the top tennis players, to Michael Jordan, to all the people who really combined being just supreme at everything they did. So I think it's a mindset. You have to want to excel at everything because it's important, it trains your brain.
2: I agree 100%. Also going back to the, your sort of part of that question is what well, what does it take to to be here at Stanford? Um and I think uh as Lily's sort of stating with the the multiple changes in everyone's life from adolescent to collegiate to to your professional life whether that's pro tennis or or going into business somewhere, you have to have all the doors open and I think the one thing that surprises me with kids nowadays is how many times they shut the door on a chance to go to a Stanford, a chance to go to a Harvard or a Duke or, you know, someplace that's academically strong because someone at 13, when they are 13, told them they're going to be in the next John McEnroe, or the next, you know, whoever, uh, Djokovic or Serena Williams, and they stopped their schooling. And then we hear from them by their junior year and they haven't kept it up. Uh, if if you want to go to Stanford You need to take your APs. Uh, You need to study. You need to challenge yourself academically because here at Stanford, we have some pull. But not nearly as much pulls of their schools. So you're going to have to get in on your own when it comes to admissions. And I think the message to kids out there who dream of a Stanford, and I'll tell you, it kills Lily and I to break hearts. It really does. We we wish every kid that wanted to go to Stanford could come here and get in. And believe me, out of the top 20 kids in the country, that's usually all 20 that you know start in their junior year want to go here. And then by the time we start to get grades and SAT scores, they fall off very quickly. So that's very important that they keep that up and they challenge themselves in all those areas because, as Lily said, your tennis career might be the last ball you hit is your senior year, uh, like Ellen Sy, who just finished for us this year, is going to med school. Uh, or it's going to be like Nicole Gibbs, where you leave after your junior year, and you're still on tour playing, and, and kind of in and out of the top 100 in the world, and that could be her career for five more years, six more years, but after that, she's going to have a Stanford degree in her back pocket, and uh, all the top players we've had here, Laura Granville, who left early, uh, you know, uh, well, Amber Lou stuck around, but... Uh, Lilia Osterler, Marissa Irvin, uh, Mallory Burdett's now back. They've all come back to get their degree.
1: And that just goes to
2: show that the maturity level of those people to say, I know I'm going to need this at some point, and I'm going to get it done whether it's after my career or not. Well, this segues
0: into you know a related question. I often get calls from uh, coaches or emails uh, that, uh, you know, they got a talented junior, and they say, hey, well, uh, should he or she go – Straight to the pros, or play these tournaments, um, or go to college for a year, etc. I mean, my response is usually if you kind of dominate uh, the NCAA's, then maybe it's maybe you could. But other than that, if you're not kicking everybody's you know behind in there, then you got to think about it. Um, but uh, so the question is this: where, where do you find, or what do you feel that is the balance of college? Is, is college a viable training ground for the pro tour? For women, because we're speaking you know mainly women today,
1: definitely uh, now, the question is for how long and at what level is the uh the player uh, student athlete before they come to college? Obviously, if you're Madison Keys, uh no, I don't think uh, college tennis would help her one bit. Uh, some of these kids are just ready at an earlier age. And it it's happening less and less than it used to when you think about the fact that Tracy Austin, Martina Hingis, they were winning majors by 16 years old. So we're not seeing that. We're seeing the best talent now, Madison Keys, I think is already 20 or or so and she hasn't won a major or anything yet. So, uh but there's still far enough along in their development that it's probably not the right choice for them. Now, the majority of the kids are not Madison Keys and some of these other uh, um, players, and I think that at the next level down, from those girls who will be in the top, maybe number one in the world, but probably top five, if a year of college would be very, very useful for them. And it's more from a personal development probably standpoint than anything else. I think it's um, when you realize that going on tour at uh, 17 years old is kind of a job. And if you know at least that you've been to college, that you've matured a little bit, that you've been on your own, made your own decisions, can can do things in your own life for yourself, that you're not relying on other people all the time, it's going to make you a better uh, you're going to perform better when you get on the tour. Even if it's one year and you get on the tour at 18 or turning 19, 19 something like that, you're just going to be better for the fact that you went to college for a year. The college training, I think, will uh, will be helpful for those players. I think they'd have to play if they're very talented coming in. I think they'd have to play a mix of professional stuff and college stuff during their during their year. And that's what our best players have always done. We've had players go off the Australian Open In January, we've had players play every major that you could play. I went with Debbie Graham one time to the French Open when our college season ended. Uh, So we've had players play all four of the majors while they were in college. And even if you're playing at the satellite level, it gives you a chance to play um, a good group of professional players to help with your uh, tennis development. Yeah, I I agree
2: 100% with that. And, And you can look at also, I feel like the players who have left us over the years, Um, have shown that they've made the right choices. Leah Osterlow left after her freshman year, after winning the NCAA singles title her freshman year, winning the team title, and she got to, what, top top 50 or 60 in the world? Uh, Marissa, after two years, I think was the same thing, got up into the top 60, 70. Uh, Nicole, I think, probably made the right choice, left after her junior year, and she's probably about where I figured she'd be, kind of battling into the top 100 here and there. Hopefully, she can continue to move that up. So I think that is kind of the right measurement there as to when you're going to leave and go, that you can get in that top 100, and that might say, okay, I leave after my junior year. (laughs) If you think you can get in the top 50, then leave after your freshman or sophomore year because, like Lily said, you're not going to probably get too much more out of the competition of college tennis. However, I do think our ability here to develop players has proven itself, and if you stick with us, you're going to get better, but the competition is going to be the problem. Mm -hmm.
0: Related to that is... uh uh, you know, I've had, and maybe chime in, but one of the, I guess one of the key factors is, Lila. you mentioned it's a little different these days. I think, uh, is it, would you find that the game has changed such that, for example, younger players just aren't physically mature enough and strong enough, men and women, and even especially men, that uh, the technology of the game, how fast it is, how, how uh, you know, the, the spin, the string, the rackets, et cetera, you just have to be, much more physically able out there to make that transition sooner so college allows you to, to build the the strength, the muscle mass, the mental maturity to handle that sort of thing, to travel, you know, being on the tour and, and all the ins and outs. Uh, would you agree with that or have a different uh, thought?
1: Definitely agree with that. I mean, I think about, I remember some of our players when they came in as freshmen and what their bodies kind of looked like as athletes. And what they look like by their junior year, and uh, I mean, Nicole Gibbs stands out to me. I mean, she was, uh, I don't want to call her a little girl, but I mean, she physically became a real athlete over those three years. And her ability to play in the top 100 and and, uh, be in the third round of a major and things like that is because she had to develop physically. And, of course, she came in at a young age because she was uh, a year younger than typical coming into college. So part of that was just uh, age maturity um, physically. But uh, I, I think that's a very important part of the game. The game is so fast these days. You have to be such an incredible athlete to play at this level. I feel like in the era I played, we had very, very athletic women players very athletic. It's just that the game was different and the athleticism was different. People came to net a lot so you had to have a lot of different kind of coordination and different kind of agility. The game now is a little more explosive speed, covering the court mostly side to side, quite frankly these days because the uh, the going forward stuff is is not a big part of the game anymore. Uh, so There have been great athletes at every era for sure. It's just that the way the the speed of the game and, and the type of athleticism and play was just different in the past. Well, let me uh,
0: let me move on to coaching. I talked about your coaching philosophy in general. I'd like for people out there to understand that another aspect of coaching is on-court coaching. And let's face it, when juniors are out there competing, there is no on-court coaching. In college, there's on-court coaching. Um, and I'd like you to maybe touch base on how you maybe – together the same, or individually do your on-court coaching style?
1: Well, I think you always have to be who you are from a personality standpoint. So I think that, so therefore our, the way we handle our players is a little bit different because we're we're different personalities. Personally, I'm trying to well, I am I think we all try to sense what's going on in the mind of the player a little bit and, and try to learn a little bit about what's going on in their mind on some of the changeovers. Do they feel good about where how they're hitting? What, what don't they feel is going right? Uh, so I want information from them on where they feel they're at at that point in the match. Then obviously I supply, well, every time you do this, she does that. Make sure you're looking for that in the future and giving them some of the um, strategy that you're seeing employed against your player. But I think it's more I'm trying to get in their own head and figure out how to get them on it, in a good place where they feel they can do the things that they're capable of doing. And that's more like me asking them for the information. Tell me what you're thinking right now. What What do you feel is working for you? And then I can help them try to be um, productive uh, coming off the changeover. And, you know, of course, it's always a little bit of cheerleading, Um when you feel somebody just needs a little bit of pump up or a little bit of motivation.
2: Yeah, I I think I agree with Lili. It's your it's your coaching personality is also your personality, is sort of who you are. And Lily and I are very different in that aspect, but very effective. Um we see things differently. I am anyone who's seen me coach knows that I'm a maniac. I I'm clapping my hands, I'm I'm yelling, screaming encouragement, uh I'm I'm very much a cheerleader and motivator but also there's a time to walk out there calmly and know the player you're working with. I think men to women, it's very different. I think working with guys, you can kind of be that coach that's pumping them up and on them. And with girls, you can't be that way. You've got to know your audience. You've got to know how to work with them. And, you know, I can have three singles matches. I'm working and everyone's going to be treated differently when I walk out there. Uh, that is the beauty of college tennis. As you stated, Steve, uh, the beauty is, is you get an on-court coach. And I think that, you know, Kids can grow from that so much on game management and be able to come to a changeover and have a coach explain what's not working, what to look for in the other player, but mostly about you know how are you going to handle this upcoming service game. A lot of times, I'll just shock the girl and, and ask her, where are you going with this first serve? What's your plan? And you know she suddenly tells me her plan, and she seems to calm down a lot and seems to have a direction when she takes that first point. Um, so little things like that, just kind of know what you're going to say. Who, who wants to hear technical stuff? Who does not want to hear any technical stuff to clog their head? Who wants to hear more about their opponent? You know, who wants to hear about strengths, weaknesses? So everyone's a little bit different in that aspect. And I think what's really neat for Lily and I, and I I think of this year's Nationals, is, you know, we don't, we help each other so much in so many ways because we both know that we see things differently and can come sometimes say things. But it was really neat, like this year with Carol, like Lily was out there for a set during, I think, her quarterfinal match, and I ran out there for a set or, or two and, and it was just different coaching and different stuff but carol got everything she needed from both of us and that was really cool because we say things differently and communicate differently and that's that's one of the beautiful things i think was working with lily and i'll embarrass her here but she used to change my diapers she used to babysit for me so this is how long we've been
0: together you know
2: doing the tennis world and the tennis stuff and i think that's that's how we can work well together you know yeah. out there
0: and uh while you're listening, I, one of the things I'd like to maybe, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll throw out the confession, I'm just curious for for you two, is as coaches and being lifelong learners, and also we want to do things right and we know when we screw up. And would I be correct in assuming, like myself, that there have been times you walked off a of court and go, man, did I blow that interchange? You know, I had an opportunity to do this or that and I felt like, you know what, I just laid an egg right there, you know. In other words, like uh, we hear in basketball, it's like that uh, he outcoached me. Or in my case, and I'm just curious if and maybe I'm alone on this, but I feel like sometimes I've just like, you know what? That was just not the way to handle that. Have you ever been there? Uh,
1: I'm not sure that I choose to remember those moments, <laughs> uh, but I will tell you, I think it comes from uh, when when Frankie and I. After a certain uh, match performances where we didn't think the whole thing went well, then we look back on. All right, did we prepare properly? Is this team this team was not prepared to play today? So I think it. I think our times where we look at that come more from those moments.
2: i, I sorry. I would just, I would agree with that 100%. And and the only times I can think of certain things is when. Uh, I try to help out a doubles team, and I've been noticing the girls are missing a backhand return, missing a backhand return, and the girls have their trust in me, and I kind of give them a look and tap the back of my hand, which is my signal to serve there,
0: and she serves, and the go rips it down the line for a winner, and they both look at you like, "Thanks, coach, for that <laughs> call," you know. Thanks for helping out. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Well, that's and that's what I say. Every, you know, blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. You just have to remind your players, "Hey, that backhand was off the whole time. So what? They got one shot, yeah. you know." Um, what do you do with players who are in slumps? struggling um maybe they choked something like that what what might be just a practical example of what you've uh, found that helps over the years that uh, you can help a player in that either during a match or maybe over a series of matches
1: well again this is going to be uh this is where you play psychologist as a coach i mean you you need to understand your players really, really well. You need to have so many conversations with them. You need to see them when they're struggling. You need to see with them when they're having success. You need to understand a little bit mentally how they're built because what what's going to work with one person in that situation is not going to work with somebody else. So, again, you're you're treating the individual. And, and what you think can get them out of uh, a certain funk. Um, it, if it's external reasons that they're not performing well, you need to know about it. You need to help them with the things that are happening off court, whether it's academic, whether it's family, whether it's something like that. You need to know what's what's causing some things. And then, uh, you know, hitting the practice court can be usually is a good idea for most people who are just having a, a bad period with their tennis. You need to make them believe in, again, in what they do well. You need for them to define what they do well and what has been successful for them. And then get them back thinking about how they can get back to that stage where, they've, where they believe in what they're doing on the court and they believe that that will achieve success.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with Lily on those. And, um, you know, I, I see other coaches try things. I, I'll be at a tournament somewhere, an individual tournament is where it usually occurs, and a girl has just lost a match and her shoulders are slumped and the coach is in her face, and I just think to myself, that's just not productive at all. Uh, the coach might grab that same player and say, come on, we're going to go on court. I'm going to feed you 104 hands. now right the funniest thing. The girl walks in the court slumped shoulders. That's not productive. And if she doesn't want to do that and that's not what she feels is going to help her, even no matter how strongly you feel as a coach that that's going to help her, that's the wrong choice right there. And I think that having an open conversation about it definitely starts, especially with girls and I think talking to them and, and, and hearing them and having some trust and then working together and saying, hey, you and I, let's let's go ahead and do a few ball tosses, just 10, just 10. Let's just go ahead and just do 10. Let's just hit some friends. And then they hit them and they hit them great. And you both smile and laugh a little bit and go, see, still there. It's still there. And just trying to convince them that it's still there. Now, they might not believe you every time, but at least you're working towards that problem, and you know that tomorrow's another day to go on the practice court, work a little more on it when their head is clear.
0: This is why I do this show. Um, even though I've been coaching for twenty-something years, all coaches out there, um, and parents and players, you can use things like this. Uh, either you're, you've either been there, done that, seen that, heard that, or you know you do the opposite, or you you know so it's it's good advice and uh, just things that you can pick up on uh before the break I'd like to uh, just uh, ask a question on how would you define success and how would you measure attaining it as a coach
1: um well I like to I like to define success as, as the improvement and the uh making all your players better and uh usually for us that equals success as a program uh, to our goals of winning titles.
2: I, I would agree 100% with that. It's it's not so much about the winning and losing. I think it's about more how you handle yourself on the court, um, coming off the court. Did you give it your best effort that you had? Was your mind clear? Were you feeling positive? Things like that. Um, I feel like when we do those things throughout the season, win or lose when May comes along and that's when we really want to be at our best here at Stanford. And I think we've shown that we have the ability to do that and overachieve at times even uh, then, then those things from the season, those tougher losses, um, the things that we didn't succeed at, but you did try our hardest, they definitely come to the, come to the the top right there.
0: Would you agree with me uh, that perhaps sometimes the getting better is not so obvious to the player? And as the coach, be able to communicate you are better. Just because you didn't win that match is completely irrelevant. You are a much better player mentally, physically, tactically, technically, you're just better. If you just had, you know, that day wasn't wasn't the wasn't your time. That's fine. Um and sometimes you have to encourage players along that line. Would you would you what what do you think about that?
1: I agree hundred percent. I mean, again, you can't look at the results always for whether the player is uh, doing so many things better and um usually it's going to work out for them to have success but not always because they could run into a better player or a better player on that day so agree 100% and you i think it's it's important to constantly remind people that they are that you think that they really are better at at different skills uh just from time to time
0: I'd like to uh, move on. We've got a break coming up in a, in a second here, but and uh, also for those of you listening to the show, uh, we go for an hour, but there's usually a few minutes past that that we can do that. We uh, do have to run out to the courts for uh, for the Nike camp, but I would like for those of you joining us uh, later, or if you come into the podcast a little later, um, I'd like to uh, give a couple of acknowledgments. Uh, one is to Events on Fire, offering complete event planning services for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Go to eventsonfire.com, and also Wilson Racket Sports, and the Eagle Athletic Fund, that's the EAF for Eastern Washington University Athletics. They're the team behind the team. And coaches, I'd like to ask you, since Stanford is the home of champions, um, what are champion characteristics that you find in players, uh, and, you know, I think we could say this in life in general, but Let's maybe stick to women players. What are some of the characteristics of champions?
1: Well, uh, over the years, I mean, players, again, who are pretty positive in their approach to things, um, have a certain confidence because they've largely had success most of their life in, quite frankly, a lot of areas, and uh, willing to really uh, be committed to uh to putting everything into um what they're trying to do for the program, for themselves, for their team, all those kind of things. That so they and it's not every day because no one can do it perfectly every day. It's not about that kind of perfection because that's unrealistic. It's really being able to do it the majority of the time and influence a group in a positive way the majority of the time.
2: Yeah, I I, I think you know, you read all these books, and, and of course, I know Wayne wrote, wrote his great book about raising champions and things like that. I, I just don't think there can ever be a blueprint for it. I don't think you can ever look and say that kid's going to be a champion and that kid's not, and that kid's got what it takes and that kid doesn't. Um, everybody's different. <clears throat> and like Lily said, us being so fortunate to be around all these different champions, and when I think of champions, I'm thinking more of. Individual champions, the Lily Osterlows, the Amber Lues, Nicole Gibbs—they're—they're they're all different. They're all different. The one thing I think they all had in common is they were extremely confident in their abilities and to go for their shots, and—and and that takes a lot. And I think that's kind of what made them stand out in my mind.
0: Would you agree that by champion, I also mean just champion people? They may not have won a national championship, but if you know, if you're—if you're always in the mix, you know, you're a champion in our minds. Yes, I—I I, I would totally agree with that. Absolutely. What do you think is missing in uh, junior tennis? Um, and let's be specific towards women's uh, and girls playing and wanting to go on to college. What, what's missing in uh, junior tennis these days, if anything?
1: I have to tell you, especially at younger ages, I don't follow it that much. I, I, I think they're trying a lot of different kinds of things with, um, with things like zonals and keeping kids together in team formats more. I think that is very productive for our sport, I think that's good. Uh, I don't see that the kids have double skills, you know, obviously the game has changed so much that what we consider the double skills of the past, the volleying ability, um, the the transition game, that's lacking, but that's lacking largely because the style of tennis is different these days with uh, so much of an emphasis on ground strokes. I guess if there was a way to have them playing more doubles, um, and as, uh, developing youth, that, that would be better for them. It's more fun for them. It's, it's better for their tennis development overall to develop more of an all around game. So I'd like to see a little more emphasis that they keep playing doubles at a young age.
0: Let me make a comment there. Um, is, uh, I have heard that comment on every show I've done. And, uh, to those of you listening who are in positions of authority, I think that, uh, for example, if, we're, if we really think something is valuable, we need to be intentional about it, which means we have to organize things, be thoughtful and proactive. And I think, for example, we need to get more doubles in tournaments. Um, we need to get back draws in doubles. We need to get doubles tournaments. We need to somehow emphasize it and i think uh unless uh you have a different opinion i think if you look at the top players in women's tennis college and pros they can volley and they're good at transition games so i think it's a it's a skill set that needs to be recaptured and when i'm on the courts out here that's what i'm focusing <laughs> on with them uh, yeah. awesome <laughs> <laughs> so uh this is actually uh is my next question uh, the role of doubles um, we just talked about it, but um, uh, what role of doubles in college tennis do you think is uh, or where it needs to be in terms of developing the skills for your players? Um, and with the format changes and all that, uh, what do you see the role of doubles? Where do you think it's going to go? And uh, what would you like to see it do Good. at the college level? Uh, <clears throat> well, I know for us here at Stanford,
2: we, you know, it, it emphasizes – a lot, uh, Lily and I, I think, enjoy the doubles probably more than any part of it because of the strategy and the different things you can set up with it. Uh, it's worth one point. It's a heck of a big point to start the match. I think we all know that. I think our record this year sort of shows it, and we've won the doubles point. We seem to have won those matches. Um, Where is it going? Boy, I, I don't know, and it scares the heck out of me. And that's a scary question when it comes to the format stuff. Uh, there's so much talk about. Uh, chopping it down i know know the boys this year played uh, a regular set no ad scoring and you know that was really just rolling some dice at that point and hoping that you might get lucky here or there for us we kept the traditional format i like that i like the strategy um i like you have to win the last two points of a game to to win that that doubles match um and i also think it, it just it breeds better tennis down the road. You know, it gets people doing more transition things during their singles matches and stuff like that. So I'd like to continue to see it emphasize and play a, a nice, serious role in the outcome of a match.
0: I'd like to uh, just touch in on, from a parental point of view, what advice would you give to parents and parent coaches for their as they're training and encouraging or developing their uh, their young student, uh, their kids, uh, to become student-athletes in college? Any advice that you think maybe has changed or that they need to focus on or maybe not do?
1: I think, uh, again, uh, excellence in every area or at least trying to be as good as you can be in all areas is something that will enhance your athletic career as well. So taking academics, or life experiences, or, or working uh, for charitable things, all those kind of things will make you better in every other area that you do. So I think the, there should be an emphasis by parents not to just focus on hitting forehands and backhands, and this is going to be how you're going to be successful in life. That will not be the formula.
2: Yeah, I I also think that from a a tennis side of it, outside of that, and look at the tennis side of it, I think it's very important that we stop losing, you know, great athletes to other sports and that we continue to go ahead and uh, make it fun and and listen to our children. And if our children have found a group of kids they like playing with or a, a club or a clinic they enjoy being in, to keep that going because, as we all know, even as adults, we do things that we enjoy. And if you're pushing your kid to do it because you think it's the best thing for them and they're not really enjoying it, then it's just not going to be the most effective thing for them going forward anyway.
0: Are your matches free for young boys and girls to come out and watch? So that's something right there um, is, you know, Wayne Bryan talks about side door motivation. I call it back door motivation. you got to be sneaky. but when they get there and watch matches like that or professional matches um uh, Lili mentioned life experiences you know not just attending matches but other things but where you see uh maybe motivational things where you see uh people that do extraordinary things with limited abilities you know i took a picture uh, or showed the other day my kids something of a person in a wheelchair and and their demeanor and everything despite some of the affliction they had is you know even just Helping people understand that we're privileged to play this game, but uh, coming to a college match and seeing how it works is invaluable. And uh, you know, you have it here at Stanford, a tremendous facility to be able to come out and watch, uh, see some of the best tennis in the country. Uh, and again, with the uh, the Bank of the West coming up, I'm not getting any uh, any money for that advertisement, by the way. But, uh, anyways, um, that's a great opportunity to watch some of the best players in the world. So those are those are great uh, opportunities. Um I'd like to give uh, we're coming up to the end of the the main segment of the show um in a few minutes but I'd like to give um both uh Lily and Frankie uh maybe a couple minutes to maybe touch on something that's they want to mention or think we missed or that's important to them Well, just
2: just going back to some of, some of the thoughts and questions. I mean, just thinking about success for Lily and I. I think it's just important to the parents out there and anybody who's interested in sending their child to Stanford University. Um, and I'm, I am going to do a little promotion here for us. But you know, contact us early. There's NCA rules. Uh, We're certainly not allowed to contact as sophomores, but you can reach out to us. We can respond very briefly. Uh, If we happen to leave a cell number with you, you can call us, and we can answer the phone and have a conversation. We just can't call you back. So please understand that those those rules are in in place for us. and uh, and also as well, just you know, for us here at Stanford, what is success to Lily and I? Well, I mean, honestly, the, the the championships are great, and things like that are great, and we we both enjoy those. But I think what anyone that wants to know more about you know coach Lili and coach Frankie is that we really love being a part of the success of these terrific young ladies that come to Stanford we love the fact that they leave here as better people as great people and they make us better as coaches and as people as well because I think we learn from them all the time so success to us is really putting them back out there in the real world when it's all done having them grow from their tennis but also our personal experiences with them and just being a part of the growth of terrific young ladies
1: and for our program i think it's the bond that uh, if you've played for us it's a very important family in our program and and we maintain very close relations with all our players and uh it's it's really fun to to have players of different eras uh get to meet each other and to uh have a good time with our program so and we'll keep doing more of that to try to uh, bring all our our all our past uh people uh together and, and it's just important. It defines our program and uh it helps define who Frankie and I are and Frank before him uh as coaches and, and the way we feel about the university here, the way we feel about our experience of getting to uh to work with such uh amazing people and we like to uh we like all our people to uh, stay in touch.
0: Well, along those lines, uh, staying in touch, I know um, in doing different uh, shows with uh, obviously different coaches, and uh, I have uh, Manny Diaz, the coach extraordinaire over at the University of Georgia, uh, next week with us. And when I spoke with Coach Gould um, prior, one of the things, he has a video on the Stanford website, is about the Buck Cardinal Club. And I know Stanford does this very well in terms of alumni giving back. And I think he said it even started with his dad during the Depression, giving a buck a month, um, even during those hard times. And the one thing I want to point out is that, you know, great schools and programs are the way they are because of the investment, the buy-in, the belief, and the, the great experience. We give to experiences and people not necessarily institutions, but the people that make those institutions. And I would venture to say that uh, when Frankie and Lili are saying that they, you know, they enjoy and and are passionate about seeing the development of their players, I'm sure those players turn around and uh, benefit the program. And I'll I'll maybe uh, kind of give one of my points here is that every school, every coach listening. I think it's reasonable that players give back to their institutions, you know, whether it's monetarily or time or something. Uh, would I be accurate in that?
1: Definitely. Uh, and there's, as you say, there are different ways to give back, even if it's not financially feasible at certain points, especially for people starting out in the career world. Uh, but our players, especially who live in the area, spend a lot of time giving back to um, to causes and to uh, helping out with epat uh, fundraisers and and just doing a lot of different things for our program and for the things that are auxiliary around our program and and we've had an outstanding representation from especially our local players to doing that
0: because i think one of the things about it, people don't maybe understand about college athletics in general but particularly tennis it's very much a networking sport uh Players are getting to know alumni boosters and they actually move into other fields and they get to know people in a field of interest that they have. Um, and that to me is one of the things that's really special about college athletics is the networking, the personal, the relationship development that goes beyond the court. It's developed on the court but also goes beyond the court. And one thing I want to make mention of is um, as, as a coach, um, I, I like to make sure that my players have a spirit of thankfulness. Because I think one of the things that players, and I've noticed this here at Stanford, is that they're very willing to jump on the court with somebody, and uh, they're very outgoing. And uh, the idea is that you know, coaches and leaders often go unthanked, and it's because they're in a position of leadership, and we think they have it all together. But I remember one of my players, who's very close to me now, um, is and a lot of them are, but one of the things, he gave me a thank you note when I uh, left uh, UC Irvine, uh, that that kind of shaped my opinion on that. It was like, you know what, never go a place or or leave a situation without saying thanks to the people that have made an impact, that have made an impact in your life. And I think uh, that's one thing as alum, as current players, I'll just put a shout out there to everybody, that be thankful for the people that are imparting some great things in your life um, in those programs. And before we conclude, I'd just like to put out a couple sayings. before the end of the segment, music comes on. But if you, I have a couple sayings that I've used with my teams, um, and I'll put them out there, just stuff to think about. I've done this each week. Is your normal inspiring? What you do every day, is it inspiring when people watch you? Another one is, if you always give your best, you will sometimes play your best and one time be the best. And we've alluded to this in this show, is that sometimes people don't, always give their best but if you always give your best you'll sometimes play your best and one time be the best until next time i appreciate you joining us here and good luck to stanford this upcoming year thanks steve thanks for having us thanks steve thanks again and we'll talk to you next time